Have you made an honest review? Jump onto fifthwrist.com and read real takes by real owners about their watches. And of course, get involved and write about what's on your wrist. Fifthwrist.com is your independent space to talk watches. Welcome to the Independent Thinking Show for Fifth Wrist Radio. This is a place dedicated to showcasing the great people doing interesting things in the world of horology. My name is Roman, and today we have a very special episode for a couple of reasons. Firstly, I have a new co-host with me. Please welcome Patrick into the co-pilot seat. Hey, Patrick, welcome to Fifth Wrist. Hello, Roman. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's such a pleasure, such a pleasure. And what a great show we have planned today. Um, Shall we introduce our special guest then? Um, Hard to summarize, but let's give it a go. He's an inventor, mechanical artist, an entrepreneur, and someone who's been inventing and designing unique and clever things since the 1990s to the present day. Joining us from the banks of Lake Geneva on in Geneva, let's welcome Mr. Roland Etan to the show. Hello and welcome, Roland. Thank you for joining us. Hello, Patrick. Hello, Roman. It's absolutely a pleasure to be on your show. Uh, it's wonderful. Now, Roland, I expect about now there'll be two groups of listeners. We'll have two reactions. Some will be smiling and nodding and saying, great, it's awesome, this interview's going to be fantastic. Now, there's a second group who'll say, they'll be looking around saying, who is Roland Eaton again? And to be honest, I'm actually more excited for that second group because we're going to blow their minds today by the end of this episode. So it's really great that you're with us today. Okay. Now, to explain, Roland Eaton is, uh, like you were saying, I live in a beautiful place in the world on the Lake of Geneva. It's in the, I'm Swiss. It's uh, Eaton is actually one of the oldest Swiss families you can have. But uh, I live more or less in the watch industry. Everybody Great. around sells watches, and you have the whole entire resources of watchmaking around you. And I got my little piece of fame, more or less, utilizing actually the watch industry, the technique of the watch industry to make men's accessories. Like, right. I'm more or less famous for mechanical belt buckles. Let's say it like that. <laughs> when you go mechanical belt buckles. Then my name comes up on the belt buckles. Okay. Now, that's a very interesting perspective on things already. You're in the middle of Switzerland making mechanical belt buckles. I mean, you're in a category of... Now, let's to put in perspective, how many other mechanical belt buckle man- makers or inventors are there? Uh, none. <laughs> so, so you're in the category of one. You are a unique product. You, you see, the, there's like uh, Stefano Ricci who makes uh, a gold buckle with casted gold buckles with diamonds in it and things like that. But for me, it's not uh, to make actually jewelry or for me, it's the mechanic. Mm. That's the, the spring point. And this environment I live here can actually support me to create my mechanical objects. It's what- fantastic. So for those who have never seen one of your buckles before, and you know, if they if they're not listening to this in the car, if they can pull over to the side, pull up a pull up an image or a video. If they can't do that, explain to people what it takes to make a Roland Eaton buckle. How many parts are there in a buckle? 
a simple, easy buckle? Uh, there's always around 110 different kind of parts, yeah. 110 moving parts to make an object. I started to manufacture them early 2000. And at this time, the wristwatches, they were like calibers 38, 36. This was before mm -hmm. big watches. You see, whole yes. high machinery got, you know, you had only a, a, yeah, a play of uh, 38 millimeters and when you little bit go bigger, then the machine became not precise anymore. And it's, it was a whole entire challenge. I mean, you see, you cannot, at this time, you could not just make a big watch. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> yes. And, uh, belt buckles have a little bit another dimension than uh, 38 millimeters, you know. And, oh, yes. And you need to think in parts. But uh, it's not, you see, what I like, my, my passion is the feeling of mechanics. When you have a belt buckle, you feel. It's the feeling wearing my product. So what I find really interesting with the things you design and as so the things you invent rather, and as will as the conversation will progress, we'll get more and more things. Uh, we'll introduce more and more of those objects. Every object that you invent is both tactile and has a particular purpose and allows the user to adjust it to themselves to customize in the best possible way to, you know, endlessly customize and adjust which is a very unique and yeah very unique perspective on a mechanical object yes but it's not this uh, this simple cut it's you see when you make a product a man's accessory right it's let's say a belt or let's say a coupling it's uh, what do you think is first of all how to put it on right Mm -hmm. Is it complicated? What would be the easiest way? No, first of all, actually, you think, what what is the purpose of the cufflink? Now, buttons are the perfect product. Why you need to have a cufflink? Buttons are tight, nice, you know. <laughs> Why you need to have a cufflink? No. Sure. And then you, you think about, okay, the next step is you need to put a cufflink on. Now, you put the cuffing on, then you need to go into the office, you have an important meeting, you go to an event, whatever, and you're always stressed out, you're always late. This means mm -hmm. it needs to be easy, right? Yes. And then comes the next situation is uh, you're wearing a cuffling, and, but you're wearing a jacket. Who the hell sees actually cuffling? <laughs> <laughs> And the first, the biggest frustration about cufflinks is, you know, you actually personally, when you're not standing in front of a mirror, you don't see them. Correct. It's, uh, you see, just the clothing. Okay. It's the, how can I say that? It's you, you just, each product has, it's like a movie, a movie script. You just play the, the history, the, the story of the product, what it does from putting it on, how it should look like in public, and to the point, yes, it's like 3 o'clock in the morning, you need to take it off. <laughs> <laughs> hey, one of the ways this conversation came together is Patrick and I, so Patrick and I met through 
a watch forum where Patrick is a moderator and watch pro site. And Patrick wrote a very well thought out article about you with a very catchy title, which was why Roland Eaton is the Philippe de Four of belt buckles. Mm. And I think that really encapsulates what you do. Yeah, and and I think our audience, the, the audience of watch lovers, will instantly relate to that. So I might throw to Patrick to sort of just talk about how did you discover Roland's work? Well, you know, the thing is, when you buy, after you've bought several wristwatches, you kind of are wondering what you're going to buy next, <laughs> right? And you kind of want to get that that feeling when you've got your first wristwatch. You know, you felt really special when you got your first one. But when you bought your sixth or seventh <laughs> one, you don't have that that same feeling. So I always wanted to uh, to get that, that special feeling of when I got something for the first time. And I really wanted to stay within the vein of the high horology world. So maybe not necessarily wristwatches, maybe not necessarily clocks, but other mechanical objects. And uh, that's when I discovered the Roland Eaton belt. Um, actually, I had always heard of Roland Eaton belt for several years before that, but I had never really thought of myself as an owner, mainly because they were so expensive and uh, I had thought of them to be out of, out mm. of reach. But um, the bug just kept on uh, biting and uh, I couldn't get it out of my mind. And one day I met Roland in Geneva in 2013. And then in 20, 2016, I ended up buying a my first Roland Eaton. So... Uh, so that's how it happened. Fantastic. Ah, that's very cool. And yeah, and it sounds like it really triggers the same fine horology appreciation. It's fine appreciating fine mechanical objects. Absolutely. It's um I collect other things such as uh, mechanical boxes, uh puzzle boxes. Mm. I uh, like music boxes, uh, uh but this this is something that that I really enjoy a lot because it's a very personal object and it's something that you that you take with you like a watch so this is my my uh, my closest object to the uh, the mechanical watch that's that's so cool that's very very cool and and you know when you wear the bu- the, the the buckle do you endlessly adjust it just for the pleasure of you know do you sort of play with it just for the pleasure of the tactile interaction Sometimes, uh, not that often, but sometimes what I do notice after a large meal, I'll, I'll loosen the <laughs> buckle uh, about six years. Sure. And uh, sometimes when I sit down in the car, you know, I realize uh, I'm uncomfortable. And then I realize if I loosen my belt a little bit, I get a little bit more more comfort. So I I have started to integrate that, that belt buckle into my lifestyle. And I've realized in some ways it does it does make it a little bit better. Um, Roland says for uh, when I'm playing golf that I should tighten it a little bit more. I haven't really paid attention to that, but uh, the next time I'm on the golf course, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll well, give it a try. My question was, what's your handicap like and how much better could it be with, you know, with a different belt buckle adjustment? You see, it's all, it's all the little things. They say that in golf. It's, all the, it's the 1% that makes all the difference. You know, I, I, buy, I buy new golf clubs hoping that it will make me a better golfer. So far, the handicap has always been See, the same. You but, need uh, a you need a golf my, buckle. You need a different belt buckle just for golf. Don't worry about the the clubs. Ah, oh, that's very cool. Yeah, I think that yeah. you know I'm I'm like you in the sense of you know I appreciate 
mechanical watches, but I similarly have a clock or two and a music wind-up box and, you know, wind-up toys and things because it's still the same appreciation of gears working together and some carefully constructing these mechanisms. And I really see Roland's creations really appeal to me in the same way, whether it's a buckle or, a you know, one of his clever cufflinks with adjustable ends or a you know card dispenser or a, or a ring that he makes that sort of adjustable. it's just it all it solves issue it solves problems i didn't even know existed which is very so cool that's his unique perspective for me it's uh, every need, everything needs to have a function when you work for a brand as i had it because i still have a design agency but it's always, you need to make something beautiful, this cheap like possible. And for me, the watch world is exactly the opposite. And the watch world is, you create something forever, longevity. Mm. Yes. That's totally fascinating me. And it's not like something just for three months and then you throw it away or it's not in fashion and you need to have something else. You buy a watch, you have your watch. And then you, 50 years, you have your watch collection. And somehow I like to do the same thing in men accessories to give this uh, longevity actually to it. That the product actually starts to live with you to your lifetime and even goes on to the next generation, to the next generation, to the next generation. And everything, when you, when you do something like that, you really need to think about how it will still work in 50 years. Now, Patrick, how many times you had the service? <laughs> Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> there you go. I think the way it's made, Patrick's grandchildren will have to send it in for a service eventually, but I think he'll work until then, yeah. they're hoping. Absolutely. So, Roland... Tell us a little bit about the company, the, you know, there's the Roland Eaton Hort Mechanics, the company. Tell us when it started, you know, where you make stuff, what you make now. Just introduce our listeners to your oeuvre, if you like. Okay. Um, where to start? That's a good one. <laughs> okay. I actually, it's a very simple one. I want to design a board, whatever, and uh, I got Morris hired from Tomke, Ernst Tomke. Mm -hmm. and very famous. Ernst Tomke was running Bali. And mm -hmm. all about the little fight by Tomke and Hayek. They didn't like each other. I do. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> they both claimed to, to be the inventor of the swatch. Now, mm -hmm. as a Swiss brand, Bali, he was running Bali. And what was very interesting about Tom K is like, he clearly saw that when you're Swiss, you cannot do fashion. You can be Dutch. Interesting. You can be British. You can be French, Italian. You do fashion. Okay. Now, Switzerland is <laughs> not fashion at all. It's just Tom K. When you're Swiss, you can don't, don't do fashion. But what Tomke saw, but as the Swiss are better than the French and the British and the Italians, is hotology. 
And sure. he, this was very fascinating. He liked to turn actually Bali into a kind of switch watchmaking philosophy of making a shoe. And mm-hmm. The whole philosophy about that was amazing, but it doesn't matter. I got hired to do a duty-free range, and uh, the duty-free range was in-flight, and uh, there was a lot of new products that were created, like tie rollers, and uh, I just took a completely new uh, approach on this whole thing. But, sure. But one of the things who they liked it to have is was a belt. And studying, I hated belts, actually. <laughs> I think it's, the, it's, it's a, a ridiculous thing then. Most of the time, when you put a belt on, you stand. But most time on the day, like we are now, we are sitting. And it's, it's has just two different kind of, you know, sides, sitting or standing. And um, yes, I was really like, uh, okay, when I need to, they forced me to make a belt and I just didn't like to do a belt with the B on it, you know, like H. This was the mark. Yes. Thing. Yeah, yeah. The branded thing. Yeah. The H, let's make a B. This will be so successful. <laughs> okay. Uh, you know, I like to have a function and the function needs to be very easy and uh like I say, it needs to be easy to put on, easy to take it off, and to adjust the, the width. And yes, I invented the self-locking mechanism. We still like uh, now. I'm using the same mechanism in some of the products. And uh, yeah, this was the start, the belt. And this belt was extremely successful in in-flight. Then mm-hmm. on this time in uh, Swissair, you know, when you just was flying long, a long distance, you had like the in-flight movie, and yes. that's it. You know, there was not in-flight yes. entertainment. The, the entertainment sure. is like your duty-free booklet and all that. And to that, I had a product in this duty-free booklet who had arrows. You know, normally you have mm-hmm. pictures of a tie or a belt or whatever, but then you have yes. a picture of a belt who makes an arrow. <laughs> so mm-hmm. You can flip it, right? But sure. Then one person just like, you know, likes to know how it works. Ask us to it. Yes. And then it starts, you know, he starts to flip it, he puts it on, flips it, and it's like, oh, 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 oh. And then everybody likes to have it, and this was one of the most best sales points as a bestseller, actually. Yeah, wow. Tell us about the company now. Where is it based? How big is your team? What things do you make? Oof. My team is actually, what I did is, uh, I started more or less using all the best suppliers. Mm-hmm. make my product and they were all Patek Philips suppliers Rolex and all that and then I really liked it too. My, my dream was to create something really top it's like mm-hmm. belief is when you take the best material the best people and you put something beautiful together 
yes, it will have a price, but to that, it is what it is. In terms sure. of quality and functionality, is there's a market. Of course. That's more or less the philosophy, the basic philosophy. It's not like, oh, let's just promote a, a name, a brand, whatever, and can try to make something who looks a little bit nice, but is cheap like possible, and bang, put the name on it and off. That's Sure. That's, yeah, not, that's not you. That's not me. That would be a waste of lifetime. <laughs> <laughs> sure. I'm always for the next adventure. Mm. So, so when did you start... So from your previous starts with Bally and a few other things, when did you decide and how did you decide to start start out on your own, to set up Roland Eaton Manufacture, Hort Mechanics? Okay. It's a... Uh, you know, it's, I have always two. I have two heads. One is my design agency, mm -hmm. where I work for different kind of brands and whatever. But then it's uh, to create your own brand, except with the philosophy I was telling to you. It's not looking at price or you just go for super skill, beautiful material, fantastic finishing and all that. And then you put it together and then it's a product and there's something so beautiful made and with roughiness, there's a market. And that was the... The thinking, and I just one day I took the guts and mm -hmm. I did it. And mm. to prove the concept, when we went to Basel, this was 2004, and uh, in the watch world, and there was another watch. <laughs> yes, yes, that's right. Yes, but you need to say too, the time 2004 was everybody likes to have luxury. Luxury, luxury, luxury. Sure. And all the big retailers in the world, they looked for what else can I give to my clients? They, they always walk into my shop. It's like, what's new? Mm -hmm. And yeah, I was new. 2004. Yeah, absolutely. Extremely new. And the, the retailers was immediately West Time. It's like, you know, Patrick, you have, as, the first time you saw my product was in West Time, right, Patrick? Yeah, and in Paris it's uh, Chrono Passion. Mm. In Ukraine it was Crystal Watch, now mm -hmm. Crystal Watch Group. Yeah, with Dimitri, and uh, mm -hmm. yeah, it's it's a uh, hourglass. <laughs> and uh, I had immediately actually the 2004 was the start. So you went to Basel World 2004 with a belt buckle and you showed it in the pavilion yeah. C or whatever it would have been. How did you make your original buckle? How did you get it made? <laughs> ah, this was the, this was, uh, you see, the, actually I met Roland Mania. This was actually the person who learned me actually how to work, how to think in parts in the watch industry. Then before, it was like, when you work for fashion, it's casting. Yes. It's spelled, everything is casting, casting, casting. But actually the introduction to CNC machines, to precision, 
it's uh, he and the you know that you cannot do a big piece you need to make small pieces all that it's just like the the challenges who he gave to me and then I need to redesign the whole entire product with these norms and this was a fascinating uh, dialogue and mm -hmm. I mean this is one thing as a designer who I totally enjoy is you can jump cliffs I say you and I like to say this to all the designers it's like when something comes up to you and you have no idea about it most of the time everybody says oh no I cannot do that I didn't learn that mm -hmm. I, whatever and I'm absolutely tempted to always do this step to mm -hmm. to jump into it and become a master in what it is. Mm. Well, certainly your products, and we should talk about some of the things you do, certainly approach the design and functionality of objects in a really novel way. Mm. You know, whether it's belt buckles that are interactive and adjustable on the user to cufflinks that are the same to shoelace keepers to even you know the, the product that you've designed that i've just discovered recently is the tennis trophy that you've made for madrid open yeah, i mean like like i said this is exactly a good example young tirak is a client of mine he has a mm -hmm. buckle and um like Patrick, it's very addictive to wear it. <laughs> <laughs> then when you, I'm, I'm sorry, I would love to put one on you, and then it's you know you can talk and talk and talk about this belt buckle. You never sure. get to the point actually. It's the tactile you, thing. You need That's to right. Feel it, okay? It's like going in a Ferrari. You can look at a lot of Ferraris, a lot of people. <laughs> yes. To the point to actually sit in one and you push the button and you hear the engine. Yeah. And sold. And then, yeah. Okay. Then you know what it is. It's you can look up mm, just so many times you want to. And it's it's exactly <laughs> the same thing. It's you need to wear one, then you get it. But uh, where I stopped again. Ah, I'm sorry, I'm so completely We're talking about the tennis, the trophy. I, yes. And uh, he owns the Madrid Open, Jan Tiriak, and his tenth anniversary concert. Now, he liked to have a, a tennis trophy with the kind of sculpture, and he liked to have a plate on it with the 32 best known tennis player in the world. And, uh, you know, for me, is uh, then you know, it's when you have a plate like that, you read the first name and you read the last name. It's like <laughs> yes, exactly. Everything middle falls away. Now, sure. Even I mean, this top selected people, that's thirty-two people, and when you look at a sport like tennis, it's uh, uh, it, it's like spices, you know. No, it's like in terms of spice, salt wins. Okay. Yes. Yes. Oh, yes. salt number one, right? There's yes. Strong. There's basilicum. There's this, and yeah. it's it's even these people not are Roger Federer, but they give a part of the game 
who makes it important. Sure. And uh, I'd like to give each person on this list the same equal uh, um, place. Place, exactly. No, not place, but uh, the same uh, um, importance. Importance, exactly. Also, the, the, the basic thing about the trophy is a column, and every player has a tennis record. And on the tennis record is his name engraved, and the end of the tennis record is a 3.2 carat diamond. Okay? Mm -hmm. and then you can just put it onto the column. And when you put yes. all these records onto the column, you create actually a staircase to sky yes. to the tennis heaven. And that's yes. the philosophy about it. And you can always put add on it or change. Now, yes. very interesting is Steffi Graf and Roger Federer are on top. Yeah, I would agree with that. And each time when Nadal wins in what it openly did twice, he looks at the tennis record of Roger and Yes, I bet. I bet. <laughs> Roger's tennis racket Just with a, is actually, I mean, yeah. yeah you, you better put, yeah, <laughs> yeah, you better super glue that onto the, onto the, <laughs> onto the, it, 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 this is amazing. Yeah. It is a very spinky eight kilos. Huh? This is a heavy yes. plant. And just imagine you play for two hours. Mm. Okay, you have the other mm. thing to win, but to hold that up like this, you need to be a winner. Yes, well, yes. Yeah. So what you're saying is, you know, people, you know, the winners have to really want to win to lift the trophy at the end of the tournament, you know. The ones who don't have quite the will to win don't win. <laughs> what I think is really fascinating about that, I think that trophy really exemplifies your approach to design where you didn't just create a pretty thing you know you didn't just create a beautiful thing just for the sake of beauty you didn't just create a expensive thing just for the sake you know you could have put diamonds all around it and it would have been equally expensive what you did was you had a thing that had beauty of its own but also had this really clear and coherent design thinking behind it with the staircase and that every player forms part you know and it would the modern game is formed on the base of those significant players all contributing and they all contribute to this one trophy it's this really coherent and beautiful and functional design which in my mind really exemplifies the best of your work and i think we can apply that to all the items you invent is, from belt buckles to is, everything. One thing that's very fascinating is you can take now the most modern Ferrari, right, and drive mm -hmm. in front of you, and you take the most advanced tank and park in it. Yes. Nice. <laughs> yes. I'm sorry. The Ferrari looks beautiful. But sure. look at the tank. Everything on this tank is designed, not for beauty, it's designed to kill and survive. Yes. And when you look at this design, it's like, whoa. Sure. <laughs> it's like, sure. It's, it's a, I totally believe when you make a product totally functional, and you just think about the function, it becomes its own beauty. 
Oh yes, absolutely. I think yeah, design. Well, it's the best of the of design, isn't it? Design with a capital D. It's just it's not just pretty. It solves a problem you didn't even know could be solved. Yeah, exactly. Which I think is really your what I find really interesting, and Patrick can probably chip into that, uh, chime in here is with the belt. The millions of people who've owned a belt didn't know that belts could be made better or could be better until, you know, somebody makes it better and they go, ah, of course. Of course. <laughs> Is that right, Patrick? Was that your experience with the belt? That's absolutely right. When I first saw this belt in 2004, I was impressed. I was like, how could someone have made a belt even better? You know, we've been using the same belt design for hundreds of years. <laughs> how could someone make it better? So this is a this is a a great leap in in the in the belt world a great leap into the future in the belt world, and it actually took me ten years before I finally bought my Roland Eaton my first Roland Eaton belt buckle. It took me uh, I had to save up for ten years because the belt <laughs> buckle is so uh, it's so hard to get and then also somewhat expensive. So uh, after saving for ten years, I finally said, "Okay, I'm going to take the plunge." And I'm going to acquire one. And I, uh, I finally acquired one ten years after Roland launched it. And uh, I'm, I wish I had bought it so much sooner. <laughs> very nice. Thank you very much, Patrick. It's, uh, How long did you wait to get your second buckle? Ah, after that, uh, I think it was uh, two or three years after the first one that I got the second one. There you go, Roland. He's very clearly addicted to it. So we just got to see. Well, the waiting period for the third buckle should be less than a year. You know, it's just look. Um, it's it's uh, like Patrick says. It's very funny. It's a, I sold thousands of products since uh, I started, but I don't have thousands of clients. I have <laughs> a lot of clients. They're just waiting for the next one and the next one and the next adventure and sure it's uh it's belt buckles but it's for me it's like uh, chocolate and prolinase and mm -hmm. when you look at all my different kind of calibers it's actually a box of uh, prolinase when you open up mm -hmm. one has a different kind of uh, yeah it's just a little difference than the other one well, well, tell us a little bit about the evolution of your calibers, because you call your each of the buckles, you know, has a caliber number, which clearly is a reference to the watchmaking industry where you, you know, where it surrounds you. And I know in watches, certainly for our audience, they can say, oh, you know, this caliber, they improved it, they put a silicon wheel in this one, you know, they put a better power reserve on that one. How does your how does a Roland Eaton belt buckle caliber evolve from ten years ago to five years ago to now to two years from now? Okay, first of all, caliber is more or less the norm for the watch industry. Mm -hmm. Then all the machines mm. are made like to deal with the caliber thirty eight, uh, caliber forty, whatever. And the reason why I named my product caliber. As more as I needed to make my own caliber. <laughs> sure, sure. I'm sorry, there, there, there is not a norm out there. Okay, this means sure. You start actually. You need to even create your own tools to make the. Yes. You see, you cannot just go sure. 
put it in. No, you need to have, you need to create your own tools to hold them together. And that's why all my, I'm sorry, they deserve the name Caliber. Okay? Sure. Then they have all their own Caliber, actually. Now, mm. back to your question. Uh, how, how do they evolve? So the Caliber 18 now, Okay. how is it different to, yeah, to okay. previous? Simple. The body one was the first one with the self-locking. Then it's over, mm-hmm. over the power. But uh, what I never liked about it is you need to put it on in the tight position. It's like when you right. like a normal belt, right? You need to also <gasps> yep, breathe in. Yep. And then you you find the hole and oh it's too loose, oh it's too tight, and then you start again, right? Sure. On this system, exactly with the body one, you need to put it on into the tight position, okay? Then you have actually the loose position. But to get it out of it, you know, you need to go back into the pain position. <laughs> As a pain position. <laughs> it's tight position. Sure. And uh, that's what's with the Mark One, the R8, I changed. That was the, the step between the body belt and the Swiss belt. The Geneva belt was exactly that. That's actually what to operate the belt in a loose position and most create even more leverage. That's a love lever. You know, it's something mm-hmm. that you effort easier and something works for you. you know? mm-hmm. <laughs> sure. Right. right. And um, sure. The, the lever is really nice on the, on the Mark I. And uh, plus, I did this cage with the wheels to get rid of the frame mm-hmm. of the belt strap. And yeah, that's, that's what's the Mark I. But then, it's still, you know, it's like the classic belt, like a Hermes belt or whatever. You need to push the Agnion or the belt nibble into a hole and you need to take it out. And for me, it was like thinking, you know, it would be just actually ideal when it would just fall into the hole and just fall out of the hole without any friction force. And that's how the Mark II started. And it's the Mark II is a double audio. Now, the double audio is fantastic. Then when you, when you do a belt, it's not only, you think, you see, my belt straps are very expensive, the alligator and crocodile. And mm-hmm. it's a belt. You think the clasp needs to really have the functionality that the belt strap has a longevity. You know, that's, sure. that's there's no use of tear. Now, when you have one audio and you wear it too much, too tight, this one audio, the one belt hole will stretch and you will see immediately mm-hmm. which you can look at your belt, which hole you always use. <laughs> yes, of course. Yeah, of co- yes, of course. Okay. Sure. Now, you have two audios and I uh, have the patent for two audios is not a, a, a new thing. So you have like military, you have the two, you know. Yeah, the two prongs. Yeah. We call them the prongs. Yeah. Reason why then you have guns and swords and hand grenades, sure. whatever hanging on this belt and the force. You know, when you have just one audio, the yeah, of course, be very big. Now, 
to actually reduce the wear and tear, I introduced the two audio. Mm -hmm. The uh, two prong, yeah. And to that, you have the two audios. It gives me the security that I actually could make the belt holes much larger and they mm -hmm. fall into the hole and getting out of the hole. It's actually mm -hmm. Arc 2 has the benefit of the longevity of the belt strap and the easy, as it's much easier to use. Yes. Wow. And then, okay. Yeah. I mean, there's so. <laughs> well, that, that's what I find. All this stuff, you know. <laughs> but that's what I find. But that's what I find so fascinating about your approach to design and evolution of your products is just the care and the um, the inventiveness that you use to to analyze the situation or engineering of an everyday item like a you know, cufflink or a belt buckle, and then you apply the highest level engineering to that seemingly small, trivial problem to make the user experience better and the product last longer. To me, that's that's fantastic. I mean, that's the definition of luxury in my head is that, you know, it's, you know, it, it takes, it's designed so well that it's so easy to use, if you know what I mean. I Somebody that does... I never knew that that was why you had two Ardeons on the R8 Mark II. I uh, never knew that that's, uh, that was the reason, is to conserve and to preserve the belt strap. That's a, that's a very interesting approach. Okay. It reminds me of how Mercedes did their windshield wipers. They, Mercedes only wanted the, the user to have to change one windshield wiper blade every year, so that way the user didn't have to spend money on buying two rubber windshield wiper blades. So Mercedes invented that one-arm windshield wiper that costs a tremendous amount of money to engineer just so that way they could save the user from uh, having to replace multiple windshield wiper blades. <laughs> but in the end, Mercedes decided that it was too expensive to, to engineer this one-arm windshield wiper that they went back to the two-windshield wiper uh, 10 years ago. I know. That's a, that's an interesting story. <laughs> there you go, Roland. That you, you can save the car industry if only they will ask. You know that's the thing. <laughs> uh, the car industry is a, it's it's a, it's a very it's it's like fashion. Okay, you have uh, each every three years comes a new trend, and then everybody needs to copy this trend, and then comes again a new trend, and it's uh, mm. yeah. It's uh, it's like as I grow as in the eighties. It was the the how air sleek the cars are. Yes. And then when you have CV of this, oh, it's much better than the CV of that. It's you know, it was the most sure. the most important thing, and this was actually makes absolutely no difference. Does it make sure? It. But when you drive with the window open, then hello. <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, I, I mean, I was going to ask uh, you, you, how the unique cha the, the challenge of being unique in any industry is that you know if you're in a car industry, you, you look at if you're a Mercedes, you look at what BMW is doing, you look at what Porsche is doing, or we'll have to kind of do the same but our own way. 
you know, if you're a fashion house, if you're Prada or whoever, you look at, you know, what Giorgio Armani is doing and whoever else is doing, it's, oh, well, the direction, the fashion is going this way. We need to do this way, but with our own twist. You operate, you know, in a pantheon of one, you know, that there's no, you know, there's nobody around you. So how do you decide which product to apply your mind to next? No, 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 I'm not alone. I'm not alone. I have Patrick and I have so many other clients and I'm in contact with them and there's always another dream. It's like the new product came out. I, I mean, I, I worked on this chassis for quite... You see, one thing is to... Uh, it's not like I have only one idea in my head and then I start a new idea. It's always I have like... Uh, yeah. I, I, a lot of ideas in my head. And a good idea is actually an old idea. In my head. Then you know, you had it like five years ago, but it's always with you. And then you do other things, and you discover other things. And then in your head, you always adapt the idea to the new things you discovered or you learned. And... Yeah, it's like it grows like a tree. And then it comes to pop. <laughs> it needs to pop. You know, it's, you just need to do it. And uh, this, this this system, the super driver system, with the, what is different of uh, to the other belts is, normally you have an organion who is in the belt strap, in the hole. And yep, the prong, yeah, the tongue. With the lever, the organion from one side to another one. Now, on the belt is on friction wheels, whatever. You try to make mm -hmm. this easy like possible. Now, the driver is has actually a little a supercar <laughs> who runs on three tracks with six wheels. And the driver, the Ardeon is on the driver. This means... The belt is actually driving with the driver from one side to the other one. And in terms of, it's a beautiful uh, feeling of no, oh, just minimum friction. And uh, the leverage is, it's too, it's, it's a beautiful uh, proportion of leverage and you have no friction and yeah, but still, you see, it's, it's, I had this idea cooking in my head, and then one of mm -hmm. my clients bought a Chiron. And mm -hmm. he was like, Ron, can you just, can you make a belt who makes me remind me on the Chiron <laughs> who I just bought? Oh, wow. And I was like, yeah, oh, wow. Actually, you know what? I have this, 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 uh, I have a super driver actually, it's a supercar, and I have a super driver mechanism. And boom. perfect synergy. You see, that, that yeah, has happened. Yeah, and then, but the the thing is, I didn't like to just take a, a Giron and make a cast of this car or whatever. Sure, it's like a, I like to give him a, a character of his car, who is a Bugatti. Yes, it's a Bugatti has a character, and. I have only the, the space to create the characters 3.6 millimeters, right? And mm. the one 
one point who I would never do is casting. It's, it's always, I like to use CNC milling, like the haute horologie watchmaking. Sure. The, I don't go into another direction. It needs to be always made like, you know, the haute horologie, you have two parts. You have the, the people who make the movement, and then mm-hmm. the people who are making the what, the, the cases. Yes. This art is fantastic. And this I like to promote. It's like when you look at my belt buckles, they're actually they're the most complicated watch cases. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. I, I was going to make that I was going to make that comparison. Absolutely. They do look like the wildest and they, they look like, you know, Urwerk cases, but on steroids. Yeah, and you know who's the movement? Is you. Yeah. Yes, well, that's right. The time is good time. (laughs) Well, only when the bell comes off. But yes, I see what you mean. (laughs) Apologies for that. Um, I think it's, I mean, that's really interesting what you say about the ideas coming, you know, some ideas you create and some ideas that your clients give you. Because my impression of at least how I imagine you create things is that you are, you have a very observant eye and you look at things and you notice how people interact with their objects, whether it's belts, cufflinks or watch bands or buckles or something or shoelaces and something springs to me, I can do that better for them. They don't even know how much better I can make that for them. Is that, is that a fair comment that you watch people with a way to improve it's, things? It's, it's a very fair comment, but uh, you know what? I need to... I actually do it for myself. <laughs> <laughs> I think Roman here is too modest. Uh, you know, he, he, you're exactly right, Roman. He looks at something and then he looks at how can something that's been done for 100 years be improved just a little bit. And uh, what's important to realize here that I've realized is that when he made the belt buckle with, uh, with the approach of the watchmaking approach, all of that was completely a new, completely new in every single way. For instance, when you write a novel, you have a formula. You have an antagonist, you have a protagonist. There's some sort of conflict, and then the conflict is resolved, and then you have the climax of your novel, and then you have the end of your novel. When you, um, when you make a new watch, you start with the case, you start with the dial, you start with the movement, you integrate these, these three components, and uh, you have a new watch for, uh, for a big company that you sell thousands of units. Here, you really have something that is completely out of the box. You've got something that is a belt buckle that is made with a high horology approach that is made on CNC machines. Everything is, uh, is, is not cast. It's all milled out of solid blocks of metal you've got this entirely new approach to uh, to belt making and then you also have to think where do you get these parts like for instance when you make a watch you have suppliers for movement parts you have suppliers for hairspring you have suppliers for screws um, you make a belt buckle out of these watchmakers parts these Part suppliers are not used to making screws that are that big for a belt. So you have to either 
have a part custom designed for you or you have to build it yourself. It is an entirely new way to, uh, to make something of this size and of this magnitude in a high horology format. So, Roland, you have to, you have to uh, give yourself a little bit more credit here. It's, it's, uh, there's, there's no formula for what you made. It's, it's really completely out of the box. Yeah, but you know, like I was saying before, it's the it's really the belief when you do something totally honest and you use the best material, the best technicians, the best way how to manufacture it. You don't look for shortcuts and this and this and this would be cheaper and blah 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 blah. When you go this direction, then it's uh, yeah, you get a product on the end who's Always speechless, beautiful. But uh, you are very Swiss, Roland, and I mean it with the with the biggest compliment. You, you, your attitude is very Swiss. If we make it perfect, if we make it, they will come. But you've got to. But at some point, you have to get your product out there. So, so tell tell us about a little bit the challenge of being unique. I would imagine is how do you find customers? How do you find people to to notice you if you're standing on your own slightly outside of the watch industry, how do you find the people? How do you entice them? You know, where do you find people like Patrick? How do you reach them? Or do they reach you? Uh, they reach me. But uh, but it's, it's, uh, it's not I have not only one product out. I have hundreds of products out and these products are on people they're having their they're sitting together they having their events and all that and it's just becomes like they just see the product on different kind of people or a friend has it or they see it on another person they inspire to be or you know and that is happens and that's how I get contacted or the people go into my retailers and they like to have one. But it's uh, one thing is very important and it's uh, what I, you see, for me, when you're in a social situation, it's easy to wear just a, a yellow jacket or an orange jacket and you go into this event, right? Everybody will see you walking in. But then, sure. the consultancy in this event is, is always the situation when you're actually with the person close and you look actually on his jacket and you see the stitching and you know exactly, you see the quality of the buttons. You see just sure. details. You look actually with the Patek Philippe, you don't see a Patek Philippe walking in. It's a very discreet round watch. Right. Mm. It's like, okay, but do you have a Richard Mill red? <laughs> yes, sure, sure, sure. But what I like is this kind of intimacy, uh, intimate situation when you're actually with the person and you start a conversation and you yeah, you see little details like what kind of ring he's wearing or cuffling. You see immediately if his shirt is tailor-made or 
of you know it's, it's just like, off the rack off yeah the rack it's just like you look at the shoes the you know how old they are the it's the even the socks it, it, it's, so it's all about the details exactly. it's all about the details and it's for me important is that people exactly in this situation discover wrong eating it's like they look mm. it's like this is a what what kind of is this a belt buckle? What? What? What, what is? <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Ah, fascinating. I yeah, like fantastic. All this second read. Second. Yes. And yes. Only when a person is close to another person, you actually discover that's actually this mechanism involved. And then comes the question: what it is, what it does, and all that. And that's in the story, and then it comes back. But. Uh, how it's um, it's actually you know it's it's you cannot to be uh, it's it's um, it's like a double sided uh, sword when you go mm-hmm. too popular you actually will lose certain of your clientels. Sure, you see and sure. Then at the moment, it's, it's really like uh, really bespoke. As a people who are wearing my products, and you're in an event, you see one wearing a Roland Eaton, you have something to talk with each other. But sure. the rest of the group who they have no idea, or just few have an idea. Yes, and and I'm always fascinated by that because, you know, I mean, the way I got into this podcasting is, you know, my passion is independent watchmakers and independent watchmaking. And that's exactly what you were saying is that people in the know know what who those things are. Exactly. But for the vast majority of people, you know, it, it's not a Rolex. So, you know, so for the vast majority of people who see a belt, they go, oh, that's not an Hermes belt because it doesn't have an H in, in the buckle. They go, oh, that's a bit weird. Whereas, whereas the people who, yeah, but do you know what I mean? Whereas people who in the know would go, they would spot it from across the, not just across the room, from across the building because it's such a, because your products have a unique uniqueness that is very much your own you know that is instantly identifiable no it's it's a life experience it's you feel it you see that mm. indeed you feel indeed. it and that's something very beautiful who i love and that's why yeah. I hear it. <laughs> yeah absolutely no i can hear that in in your voice um, well look let's talk a little bit outside of the world of men's accessories you know so you've designed belt buckles you've designed shoelace keepers card dispensers that you know you've designed now you've also had some interaction with the watch world yes in quite interesting ways as well one which i think would be worth talking about is similar to a belt is something is part of the watch that is probably the most in contact with the user which is the, the strap, the band. Yeah. And you've applied your unique approach in designing special things to go with the band. So maybe tell us a little bit about that because I think there's a neat intersection there. Oh, yeah. It's a, I mean, first of all, it's a, oof, this goes down to 2000-something. François Paul opened up his first boutique in uh, Tokyo. And... Uh, mm-hmm. And... S- Somehow he got across my product 
and uh, he was totally fascinated about you know it's, it's looks like a watch you know it's, it was just thought it's it's uh, totally crazy <laughs> <laughs> this kind of you know effort into a mundane object and uh, he got me the 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 chance to have actually he had my my belt buckles actually in Tokyo in his shop mm-hmm. at a press conference about it then it's more or less it's like uh, Patrick says it's a showcase of hotology but it's mm-hmm. a, it's it's a watch case of, it's a movement you can touch the point is you know when you wear a watch and to have this kind of collaboration it was just like we had talks, you know, after the press conferences and things like that. And how it's with Francois Paul, it's always uh, a napkin situation. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Watch a small as a sketch somewhere starting with a napkin, and then a bar napkin. Sure. Okay, that's sure. That's the classic. And that's what it is. Uh, we started to talk about, you know, it would be actually very practical for watches too. Then. You put your watch on, you have your hole, but the clientele, okay, in Switzerland, Europe, you have more as a normal temperature constantly. But when you go in Dubai, Hong Kong, or big markets, you have this big difference between air condition and outside. Yes, exactly. Or in California too, right? It's uh, You have these two worlds. As so you put on, on the air condition situation, you watch, then you go outside and you're sweating under it like hell. You need to adjust. Mm. You need to go back into air condition. <laughs> yes. <laughs> what it is. And there came actually this idea. Let's do this concept for actually a, a watch strap. And uh, mm. we created this this, uh, this closure together. And uh, it's still, it's... Uh, it's a fascinating, it's it's a beautiful toy. You know, you have it, you always, like, play with it. <laughs> yes. The, the, the feeling of using it is it's very, very nice. Very, very nice. So, so correct me if I'm wrong. So the idea of that closure that you've designed for F.P. Jean is that when the, it's a, when you put it on your leather band, you can adjust, you can twist millimeter. the part. Yep, you get an eight millimeter adjustment. Just makes the world. This eight millimeter Mm. is an amazing world. It's fantastic. Mm. But it's yeah, so it's an adjustable clasp. Yeah, Yeah. it's seamless like the Bugatti you have, Patrick. It's like you. It's not like one position and another position. It's actually seamless. You can have it between. You know, you... When I first saw it, I was just—I was just thinking, "This is Roland, classic Roland Eaton. He—he sees a problem that nobody ever identified as a problem, and then he found a solution to it. And that's the—that's uh, the beauty of this uh, of this FP Zorn watch clasp um, that it that you can adjust it in uh, in one millimeter increments up to eight millimeters, and that's great for when I'm traveling to. Uh, very hot and humid areas like Taipei or Tokyo in the summertime. Yeah. It's a it's a lifesaver. It really is. It's, 
But you see, this is, this is very interesting. Also, the critic about this closure is, oh, it's too big. You know, <laughs> normal watch closure is so slim and things like that. It's sure. But everybody who wears it, who has one, totally thinks about it. It's too big. <laughs> yeah, you don't go back. That's right. I would imagine you wouldn't go back to a regular buckle. That's right. Exactly. You just love it. And then, yeah, when you rock back the regular one, it's you just totally miss it. But uh, yeah, it's. But, uh, yeah. Also, no, no, you go. Also, I, like I say, I have always my ideas in my head. <clears throat> to the years, I actually revised and I created a new patent on this system, and it's the RW9. And uh, it's. Uh, it's it's I, I really like to have the feeling you know when you open a safe the click 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 mm-hmm. I like to get this kind of emotion in it of uh, yeah it's you know it's yeah you see you take emotion of other things and then to get a kind of value into the product sure but uh, <clears throat> still the what you do is actually you only expand in one direction. And now, when you have a heavy watch like the the, the Sky Moon of Patek Philippe, the Moon Sky. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. The Sky Moon. Yep. And is this like a watch with five hundred grams? It's a very, yes. very heavy watch. Yeah. And when you wear this watch loose, it's tendency that flips over. Yes, it's very top-heavy, that's right. Exactly, it turns around the wrist. Now, you really need to wear it very, very tight. Now, Mm -hmm. the RB9 is not, to that it just goes into one direction, it loses the the watch strap just in one direction, don't help this, actually. It makes it actually more dangerous, Mm -hmm. these flips. And I had a client who has a very, very big uh, watch, Patek Philippe watch collection. And he actually, this was a discussion with him. And he, one thing he loves about Patek Philippe is actually his clasp. You know, that he still has the Patek Philippe clasp. Yes, for now. On the discussion, it's like, okay, okay, you can keep the clasp, but let's don't do the clasp, actually make it expendable. Let's do mm-hmm. well. Yes. Who is under the clasp, right? Yes. And I came up with the idea of, uh, that's the RV11. It's when it's loose, the bridge expands. Yes. That means... It cannot turn. You see? Yes, it keeps it yeah, keeps it positioned, yes. That position. And this is still for me in terms of when you have a gold watch, an AP or they're all Whatever. watches. Yep. They are it's the the nicest closure and you can go on my internet as you see some movies on Instagram or whatever about the clicking mechanism. It's like a really a beautiful gearbox. Who you can choose, <laughs> and it's uh, in terms of the evolution of uh, watch closures. I think it's the at the moment the highest, but I don't know. It's you know, 
things can happen in my head. <laughs> well, you will, you will, you will keep solving problems. People or you don't even know exist. You will. Exactly. You know, I mean, the, the the other thing I found really interesting. I mean, when you when you sent me some pictures of some of the prototype watches that you've made or that you've designed, there was one thing was called the gumball machine, uh, the gumball watch, where you can twist the case to make it into a driving uh, display. Yeah. Look, my absolutely favorite watch, I would love to have this watch. I was falling in love with this watch. It's the Vacheron Classic. Oh, yes, the Historique. Yeah, 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 beautiful. It's a, yeah, yeah, it's a beautiful watch. A beautiful watch. This is the first time, actually, I saw this watch, and then it, it, I saw, actually, 12 o'clock is at 1 o'clock. Yes, yes. What? What? You know, oh, it's a driving watch. Oh, it makes only sense. It's a driving watch. Sure. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. I, I'm sorry. I was too. You know, it's. Uh, I learned too the the watch industry as a. Actually, I didn't got born into it. I needed, you know, yes, sure. the watch world too. And this was one of the sure. watches that really inspired me. But I'm a very practical person. And. Uh, uh, in terms of diving watches, what always annoys me is the security that you need to, you know, uh, seal it. You need to turn the crown in to make it watertight. Mm. And I love the system of Panerai. Mm -hmm. Yes, with a little click closure, yeah. With a click. And... There it came. It's, it's just like, uh, you know, why can I not just like a reversal, you know, take my mm -hmm. watch, I have a watch case, I have a base, and take the watch, and when I turn the watch, the crown gets pressed in, and the watch is at 12 o'clock for a diving watch. You know, you click two buttons, and it bangs back, and it's a, a driving watch, and you have the control. Yes. That's true. But in it's just another example of you applying your creative logic to a yeah. thing to, to a product to make it better. But there's another aspect too to it is one of the I really I love the Panerai for one reason. Panerai is thought of not to be a consumer watch. It was thought of to be a military watch. Yes, at the outset, yes. The whole way, the dial, everything was just made for mass production, as cheap like possible, not thinking about <laughs> it look nice or beautiful, whatever. The function needs to be there, it needs to be readable, and it needs to be waterproof. And this cheap manufactured like possible. <laughs> yes, yes, that's right, exactly. Yeah, the, yeah. the consumer was the military. It was not the... And, oh, this is a beautiful watch. And this, no, it's, it's really a straight on like a weapon. Sure. But the, there's, there's, and plus there's a, when you have, when you go into diving watches, okay, it's changed like the last two years. When you have a, a friend who has a new watch, right? You see the watch and just, wow, oh, you have a new watch. And then, the next step is he takes it off the wrist, the watch. You take it in your hand. You look maybe for 15 seconds closer on the dial, and then you turn it around. You like to see the movement. 
right? Yes. That's the, that's the steps. But then you turn yes. the phone and it's just uh, closed. You don't see a movement. You have just a kind of lousy engraving on it or something like sure. that. And this is just like a kind of, uh, yeah, okay. Ah, it's a nice watch. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. The conversation is yes. actually with the engraving. But on this, sure. on this watch, then you have, you need to have a spring system who puts the mechanism into the sealed position, in the diving position, and in the driving position. And when you turn around mm. this watch, you have a beautiful, also you see the springs, and you have a mechanism who nobody ever saw behind the watch. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, look, the, the thing I find really fascinating about your work is most things in the watch industry happen as a collaboration. You know, there's you know many different artists or many different designers. One works on the case, one works on the dial, one works on the hands, and everything comes together and it, hopefully they, they get put through focus groups and they refine it and make it even more bland. Whereas what I find really interesting with you is your creative vision and your artistic intent is very much your own, very much unique. As in, you know, you see a thing and you go, I'm going to solve it or design for it. How do you, you know, is my impression correct? Are you kind of, you're a lone eagle pursuing your, you know, doing what you want to do as a maverick? Uh, no, it's, uh, there's always like a, a need for another person who comes in. Mm-hmm. It's it's like you know the guy of Castaway. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sitting at the moment on the Lake of Geneva and I'm waiting off uh, what comes on shore. <laughs> yeah, you need your Wilson or whatever. You need that ball to talk to, right? Yeah, it's uh, if a, you know the door of the toilet comes in or whatever. <laughs> it's uh, there's not really. It's this is the. Uh, there's a lot of dreams in my head, and it's just like uh, things can give them the connection, and then things should happen. Mm. I am sort of, as we're speaking, I am reminded of, and you know, I'm thinking of Patrick's article and what he said. You know, when he compared, you know, Roland Eaton as the Philippe Dufour of insert name. It's I can definitely see that resonance of you know an artist pursuing his craft or her craft, his craft, to the highest degree, almost to the almost to kind of ignoring the industry. Because I'm thinking of what you're doing now and what Philippe did, you know, in the 90s, filing away doing his, you know, grand sonneries or something. Uh, no, Absolutely. No, no, no. Oh, okay, I sorry. completely yeah. agree. I think Roland, oh, here. Hang on. Roland disagrees. Oh, dear. oh, no, Patrick, what are you saying? Sorry. I completely agree with you, Roman. I think Roland here is being much too modest. And uh, the uh, the real thing about about Roland Eaton belt buckles is that it's a completely it's completely a unique approach to making a product. And what artist, what independent watchmaker uh, has the time, nor has the uh, has the focus groups, as you said, to uh, to uh, to try to appease to uh, a large group, you look at MBNF, right? He makes the Max makes the, the weirdest watches in the world that 
doesn't appeal to anybody. <laughs> Yet we all love MBNF because of his entirely unique approach to watchmaking. You don't think that Philippe before goes to a focus group and said, if I make a watch that looks like this, will anybody buy it? No, he doesn't yeah, do that. He goes completely out of his passion uh, and makes his, uh, like, a, like a true artist and makes his own piece. So correct me if I'm wrong, Roland, but I don't think that you approach any uh, focus group to, uh, to, uh, to make any of your belt buckles. Uh, focus group is just uh, one client of <laughs> myself. The death of creativity, yeah. <laughs> no, it's what it is. It's, uh, it's, I, I really enjoy doing bespoke objects. Then uh, learning another person, learning the, just watching the other person, what he does. And, you know, the mm. takes, even don't know exactly what he needs. Yes. No, I was going to say, well, take us into that world, because I would imagine a lot of our listeners may not know the process of how does one go about getting a Roland Eaton bespoke item? What is the process? You know, what happens once they get in touch with you, say, I've been thinking about it. Let's do something together. Uh, you can contact me on via Instagram. Mm -hmm. That's the first thing. So like mm -hmm. some of the contacts come via Instagram. I mean, on Roland Eaton Info. That's the mm -hmm. website. And uh, we, there's always faces. You know, that, I mean, you have a first phase of thinking about something and then you have the second phase of make the feasibility about the product. And then when you have the feasibility, then you have more or less, you can go into the pricing, but then you can decide if you like to have it out of steel, you like to have it out of aluminum, you like to have gold, how many diamonds, you like to have what quality of diamond, and then you have more or less the price. Mm -hmm. it's uh yeah it's it's and and, and I, do most, most do most clients come in with an idea of what they want or do they mostly come in saying i want something cool that roland makes and you actually sway them or something no it's 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 most of the time it's like an event it's like this one client buys a giron and he's very proud okay but you know, when yes. you're on, you have it in your garage, who's beautiful, yes. look at it. And when you go for a drive, you cannot just go into the city and park it somewhere. The only way you can go into a hotel, right? Yes. But then in a hotel, you have this kind of uh, 15 seconds or 20 seconds of fame, who you drive in and you're, you know, then uh, you get out of the car and you give actually the car key to the valet. Car key, yeah. you know? and yes. Inside in the hotel, in the bar, or the restaurant, you're just a normal guy. Yes. Well, I think that's why your pieces are sort of wearable art. You know, when you when you describe yours as hope mechanics, that's very much what it is. But wait, wait. I have a there's there's another client who is fascinating. He owns a, a lot of vineyards. But okay. the, vine, the vineyards are actually, it's a joke. It's just in the wrong country. 
<laughs> okay. No, it's, it's really a joke. Then it's just on the border of France. I mean, the same okay. birds making poo-poo on these grapes like on his grapes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but he cannot name his wine champagne. Sure. Sure. <laughs> you see? Yes. <laughs> it's ours yeah. in the country lake. It's sure. actually hysterical. It's, 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 really, it's just like cheek to cheek, you know, but it's just, uh, yeah. you know. Sure. But, he has an absolutely fantastic quality of uh, Cremant. And he has an event, he had an event uh, saying, well, you know, with all famous people coming and things like that. And when you have, a, when you go to a, some, such an event, then you have, you know, you come in, and there's the boy and the girl with the tray, take your white wine or your champagne, right? And then the first thing you do is like you look at the brand. Yes, of the bottle. You look at the label. Yeah, yes. The label. And then when it's like, what is that? Or what kind of event I am? It's not like, uh, you know, <laughs> I don't like to name yes. these brands. But, you know. I understand. I'm not naming them either, but I, I, I'm with you. you no, know, it's not. Like, what kind of event is that? Who comes? You know? Now, he really liked to make an event for his Cremant. And the idea was, you know, just let's surprise the people. And I was making a, a tray who just imagine, just imagine you, the boy holds a tray in your hand and all the glasses are turning on it. Mm. And then you know when you have an expensive champagne glass, they have a nibble on the bottom. And all the bubbles coming actually out of this nibble. And when yes. the glass is turning, you get a beautiful spiral. It's just a visual absolute. Yes, yes. And what I created for him is a flywheel tray with all the glasses are turning. And then wow. the coaster on the party, it's the same thing. They're all cockwheels. And wow. Actually, you know, and you can actually chin like this with the glasses and turn another glass around. In the bar, you can put it together. One person turns his glass and all the glasses are turning. You know, it's... it's oh, because all the coasters are connected. Like, like yeah, yeah, like teeth on the wheels. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Wow. It just became a, a whole entire... Everybody had something to talk about it. Everybody likes to try it out. And it was not about, it's not that brand. It was just fun. Yes, yes, yeah. It's, yeah. Think this, okay. So This is, again, it's just managing another situation. It's not, you know, I'm not a specialist in uh, making champagne trays. <laughs> yes. But the, the, the situation well, I, is neat started this idea but i think that's the i mean that in my mind and you know i'm not a designer in any i'm not in that world but i think that to me makes the the best inventors designers transcend their genre you know so you can be a fantastic car designer but you can't do anything else you're so into you know you get locked into some sort of thinking so you never kind of achieve that universal 
greatness, if you like, where you can transcend a genre, you know. So if we talk about the best artists, for example, you know, Van Gogh is special because he wasn't just an impressionist. He, he had his own language that he could adapt, you know. Rembrandt is a fantastic example, you know. He didn't just paint a religious figures or he didn't just paint portraits. He was amazing because he managed to transcend a lot of painting genres, you know, and to make, you know. And when I think about the stuff that you have done and stuff we've talked about, yes, you're not just a men's accessories inventor designer, you know. You're not just inventing belt buckles, you know. You've done tennis trophies, cufflinks, watch closures, belts, card credit card dispensers you know and now i'm learning about champagne trays and you know things i mean that and all of it is done with this sort of playful inventiveness but very very clever inventiveness having the user in the middle of the picture it's a, it's a brilliant brilliant thing it's a there's a saying you know when you learn when you like to learn how to fly Ask uh, eagle. Yes. Not a penguin. <laughs> oh, that's good. No, no, no. But actually, when you ask the penguin, he likes to fly. He has a dream about flying. Yes. And yes. ask the penguin what he thinks about flying. And then ask the eagle. And then make your own thing. <laughs> right. Okay. That, <laughs> that's really interesting. I mean, the thing is very important. It's a key part in the whole entire thing. But, you know, it sounds all so rosy, you know, all this invention and all that. But more or less, you go out, you meet a person, you have a fantastic conversation, you're totally inspired and all that, and you get the project, the project is signed, you have a nice little victory drink, you know, to start the project, and everything is great, it's fine, you got your budget, and then you go to bed, and then at 3 o'clock... But this is why no, um, you're yeah. so special. In, then at 3 o'clock summer. in the morning, Patrick, at 3 o'clock in the morning, it's like, you just... Oh, no! How the hell I will do that? <laughs> and then... No, it's a very it's 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 crazy. It's absolutely crazy. You're just like floating around, floating around, floating around, and every cell in your body gets alert about this immediate need to solve this problem, and you just start to watch little things on the street, people dropping coins, or, 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 or it's like a yeah, and then comes the you know how it's a, it's a pro, it's a fun beautiful process in life. When you're in this situation, you live life two hundred percent. When you're in this trouble of creativity, it's, it's I'm totally addicted to that, and that's why I'm doing it. This this is why I keep on saying this is a it's a very special process when you're inventing something that is completely new. For instance, as I said before, when you write a novel, there's a formula. You have the protagonist, the antagonist, and then you have a, a problem and you have a climax. When you invent a watch, you know, it's been done before. You have a, a process. Someone designs a case, someone designs the dial, someone makes a movement, hits the dial on the case, and voila, you have a watch. But here, you're inventing something completely new. 
completely without any formula in the background. And uh, that's, that's what makes you very special. And that's why we appreciate our independent watchmakers uh, and our Philippe Dufours, because they are doing something that is completely inspired. They're doing something that is completely not done by anybody else. And that's what makes them special. Yeah. But the, you see, you'll have only one lifetime. <laughs> why, you know, it's uh, why wasting a lifetime doing something who is already around? You know, it's uh, you like to make your own. Your uh, yeah, it's you want to make a mark. Yeah. Well, then let let me ask you this, Roland. Given all your thinking about you know watch cases being better, watch buckles being better, would or will we ever see a Roland Eaton watch? When you see one, there will mm -hmm. definitely one thing on this watch. And I will connect the second pointer with the minute pointer. Okay. The second is will be not 60 seconds. This will be five minutes. For one three sixty ten, and it's okay. Tell us more. It will be the five minute watch. Okay. Then you see you can have even you can have Grable Force who I love. Then the tourbillons have a big dial, and you can more or less. I don't like tourbillons. Tourbillons <laughs> actually to, to make it more accurate the time, but actually. With, yeah. The less you can read the time, you know, I, you know it's, it's, you know, I think... It, it's not about the time. It's not about timekeeping. No. Grubel 4C aside, on a tourbillon, it's the time-telling no. is the last thing you look at. It's, Correct. Yeah, it doesn't matter. But still, when you look, for me, it's still a watch as an instrument, okay? I'm looking sure. at the watch and I like to see the time. I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. and yeah, no, I'm, I, I'm with you. you know, uh, the instrument is really... It's uh, it's the time, and I know the, there's a big trend about skeleton watches and all that, but there's such a beautiful history in dial making in the watch industry. You know, I mean, it's it's it makes so when you go back in the seventies or the sixties, the dial was the, the watch, you know. Mm, and it's, it's a really beautiful art form. You have still amazing artisans out there in the industry who are making amazing barrels. And for me, the skeleton watch is also very interesting. But no, the reason why the five-minute watch is when you look normally on a watch, the time, right? You look, oh, it's 10 past uh, eight minutes or uh, it will be soon 10 past 10, right? Mm -hmm. In this, we never can define actually the minutes between the five minutes. You know? Yes, because they're close to each other. You're always guessing. It's like, yeah, seven or eight minutes. Now, what this does is when you connect the second point to who is now taking five minutes for one rotation, and you have them actually going counterclockwise, you can look at your watch immediately and you can say in 34 seconds and four minutes it will be 10 past 10. 
Mm-hmm. You understand? Then you have five minutes and you see where the pointer is. So you would have a separate indicator to show where the hour is in among the 60. Is that right? Yeah. It's, it's like the pointer, the second pointer needs to have five minutes to make it. Yes. Easy. Yes. Connect it with the minute pointer. I have to think about that, but I'm okay. You asked me what kind of watch I would do. <laughs> no, 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 that, but, uh, no, no. What I was the way I was going to finish that my sentence. Phone, my phone will be. No, my phone will be. No, no. What I was going to say is, I have to think about it. But I'm sure, if it comes from your mind, I'm sure it will it will solve a problem I don't even know I have with timekeeping <laughs> by doing what I think. What I thought, I'll have to throw out all my other watches. It'll be an expensive thing, no, no, not just to buy, but to get rid of everything else. Yeah. But I'm sure it'll be better than you'll have to send me a picture. Uh, but no, that's fascinating. No, that's it's, fascinating. No, it's really, come on. It's when you see a person with an interesting watch, right? Or how you approach it. So one easy approach is what time is it? Okay. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> and then he looks at his watch and says, oh, what a beautiful watch. Right? Yeah. That's so good. Uh, yeah. That's like, oh, that's, uh, yeah. It's like, uh, then you ne never can really say you, you have more the exact time on your phone. <laughs> yeah, well, that's all. I mean, that's obviously, I mean, that's it. I mean, what you said about timekeeping is really interesting. So I'm a big fan of, you know, George, of the late, George Daniels with his watches, you know, the English watchmaker. Yeah. And when he made his very first watch, he wanted to show that it was a high precision timekeeper. Mm -hmm. So what he did was he he essentially made the hour hand redundant. You know, he said, you know, you don't need to know the hour of your watch because, you know, I'll, I'll give you the hour. It's a little retrograde scale in the middle. But what you're paying for is the minute hand and the seconds hand because you, know, you can always know what hour it is, but you need to know the minute and the second. And if it's correct to the second and the seconds hand is very prominent on the dial, you know what you've paid for. So, and I'm sure your watch probably has a similar thinking about it that, you know, you can always know what hour is, but to know the exact minute at a glance, yeah. So I could, I could, I could see that parallel of trying to make, yeah, re legibility and precision a, a separate thing. Yeah, that's great. But you know my challenge to find mm. to your watch movement who is exactly. <laughs> yes. Well, that was my next question. My next question was, who is going to be the maker? Who, who's going to be the movement maker who's going to do that for you? And how do we make it happen? You know, yes, the, <laughs> how do we pull strings? Uh, Robert, uh, Stephen, I would trust them actually to put something like that together. But it would be fascinating. It would be, it would be a fascinating thing. And I must say, you know, what excites me about the watch industry is is these kind of conversations and people like you who are thinking about watches not just as a as a vehicle for sales you know just oh we'll make it out of gold put diamonds on it you know we can charge you know well what's hot this year Black and salmon dials are hot this year that's right you know it, it has to be green this year and we you know, what I'm actually fascinated is people who are behind the scenes, and we often don't know those people, and that's why I'm trying to make those people known, who are thinking about these kind of things, 
legibility, precision, usability, different design of a bracelet to make it better, you know, an adjustment of a clasp. These are the people, these are the heroes that I want to celebrate because, you know, any fool can make, take an existing watch and make a blue dial, you know, pardon my French, but any fool can make it. Yeah, not me, I'm a bigger fool than that, but anyone can go, oh, Pantone color scheme, it's, you know, it's forest green this year or it's, you know, Arabic blue or whatever the thing. Blue like Rolex. <laughs> oh, I, I am on the record for, yeah, for being not appreciating Rolex, but that's a whole other discussion. That's for episode two. Um, but what I'm, but genuinely what I want to do is celebrate people with creative thinking like yourself who, who actually thinks about these things and very thoughtful in approaching the thing that probably the rest of the world goes, yeah, it's a watch they sell now. Why do we need to make it different? You know, let's just make it blue this year. When you go, no, well, actually, this is a better way. So let's, yeah, if we can make that happen, that's a, that's that's very cool. I'd love to. What, what do you think, Patrick? I think I that's a. I can't wait to see it in the metal. <laughs> there you go, Roland. You possibly have two customers. If you can do a limited edition of two. <laughs> sure. Um, well, let me think about. Let, let's, let's, maybe three, let's make together some money and then we just do it. <laughs> you need prototypes. The world needs more prototypes. No, it's. But prototypes are so important. So important. Sure. Make smart prototypes. Then you see the design process. Yes, you have an ideal situation. You think about the product, but you can sketch it. You can put it in seed. But you know you need to have always the proof if it works. Mm-hmm. And but to start the whole entire machinery. Right, you need to make it somehow. You need to make a prototype, most gives you the security that the function will work, but mm. don't actually looks like the product. You know, you just try sure. different kind of functions, and this is a, a very, very important process of making actually creative prototypes and with the prototypes itself. Sometimes you get a gift. Mm-hmm. It acts out like you never thought of. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yes, yes. A three D object is always does something unexpected than a computer generated screen. Sure. You no. Know? <laughs> yes, yes, that's right. So, it's like, well, you know, and uh, yes, it's no, it's the the whole creation. It, it's uh, it's not like having an idea, making a drawing, a technical drawing. Going to the CNC machine, cutting it—it's—it's it's not this easy. It's not like that. It's—it's it's really like first you have the idea, then you, you sketch around and you go into problems. You—you you know exactly how it should work. You need to figure out if it really reacts like that. You need to make a little prototype. Okay, now you can 3D print the thing, and then. Still, you have all these parts, and then you sit together with the engineer, and you just, you know, everything needs to be milled, and you just, you have like a five-axis CNC, 
and you start to think, okay, when the product is in, in this angle, what can I do in this angle? And in one go, and then, you know, when it's fixed again in another perspective, what can I do on this angle? And you, oh, it's, it's completely new worlds opening up and the design can actually change. Then you see, wow, I can do that. Oh, I forgot, I could actually do that. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Very much so. And then you know, then the most, and then the most important thing is when you have these little pieces is the person who does the step plan. Then you, mm-hmm. then you, you see, you have the tools for holding this, and you need to know where the milling machine needs to start and where it ends. And the step plan mm. is important. Then when it ends on the wrong way, this piece starts to vibrate and you don't have the precision. And it's it's really just people with extremely talent who can look at a piece and know exactly, yeah, that's how you do it. Sure, sure. And sometimes you need to run around the product three, four times to the point you find out to the right route. Yes, yes. I think the prototyping process is really interesting. And I think the number of iterations and prototypes that you need to do to make one of your items i, I you know i can't imagine because there's such a it's you, you're building of an alpha alphabet of your own you know you're not drawing on a wall i know what a watch movement does i know it's a unit has 6498 the power reserve is this everything that you make has to be the, so one of the questions i will ask probably and is you know for our listeners who are going to be discovering your products now, the first question they'll ask is, you know, Roland makes buckles, they look amazing, but why are they so expensive? I'm sure that will be the first question. Well, let me answer that one. And uh, you have to really consider that these buckles are completely handmade and they're completely using non-standard parts. For instance, Roland can't go to a screw supplier and say, I want your screws, but I want them to be... 10 times as big because it's for a belt buckle and not for a watch. (laughs) Sure. So these suppliers, they have to completely custom design parts. And many of these suppliers won't work with with these small independent watchmakers, as we know, because they make too small quantities. So sometimes Roland has to make these individual parts in very small quantities, design them um, and execute them in extremely small quantities, then that's why these costs can get quite high. So one of the reasons why it took me 10 years to save up to buy one, and one of the reasons why I finally realized the value behind it was working in the, uh, I had a job in the in the manufacturing business, and I worked for a company called Wistron, which is a contract manufacturer for electronics. And I realized when we were setting up the factory to make uh, make, let's say, 100 parts, which is a very small quantity for us. Yeah. It cost us so much fixed cost to set up the factory to do that, that we ended up making uh, around 1,000 of them just because we. it cost the same to make 100 as it cost to make 1,000. So that's, uh, that's just one of the things that has to go into making one of these Roland Eaton belt buckles and that's why there's so much cost involved. But the one big difference between photology uh, and what I'm doing is, you see, when you have a watch, your movement is a case, in a case. 
waterproof. And you can use oil and whatever that it works. Mm. Right. But mm. when you have an open mechanism and you promise this, you know, this will go for generation, your problem is yeah. dust. Yes, of course. And you need to apply, actually, that's why you need to have different kind of axes, different kind of screws, different kind of whatever. Then you're thinking about the longevity and you're thinking about dust. Mm. Then it's every axe needs to be self-cleaning. Mm. And of course, I mean, when you look at a basic design of mine, when you go on Instagram, you look at the Bugatti, whatever, you have wheels, titanium wheels, and, and a titanium base. And the reason why I'm using titanium wheels and a titanium base is that you cannot actually polish it. They have all mm. the, uh, a surface, and the axes are always open. This means when dust comes in, it gets more or less grounded and has an escape. Yes, of course. But then when you have titanium on titanium, it gives a little noise, especially when the mm -hmm. is totally new. And that's why I have all these gold bridges over the wheels. Then gold is observing the noise. Mm. That is, it's fascinating. It's just the, the little problems you have, but you don't have in watchmaking. <laughs> you have these two, two worlds. You know, you have really the movement guy who does the movement, and then you have the guy who does the what? Who needs the most important thing is they need to be waterproof. <laughs> and so you're telling us, Roland, that you have to choose materials that work well together, that don't wear uh, each other out but at the same time are self-cleaning at the same time. Yeah, it's, titanium is uh, my favorite, absolutely. It's, uh, I love titanium. It's light, it's, it's strong like hell, so we have to use all this grade five. And, mm. uh, but this is, but on the other side, I love gold. I'm just mm. imagining the prototyping mm. process because I know you take everything into account, even down to the haptic feedback of how it feels in your hands. So you probably have tested different ceramics, different titaniums, different golds, just to make sure that every click, you know, feels good. And then you're like, what is that? What would that feel like if it were made in gold? Does that feel any better? And then you test it and then you realize it feels better. And then, and then soon, you know, the, the cost balloon and then you have to make I mean, it in gold. No, gold is the, the nicest, absolutely the nicest. The, the feeling of gold is just fantastic. And you know, and it's like you're buying an expensive shoot. And, <laughs> you know, it's a little bit dirty, a little bit dusty, and then you can just re-polish it again, and it looks absolutely the value it is. <laughs> <laughs> and it's the same thing with gold. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's for a longevity product, gold is fantastic. And that's why, I mean, this conversation that we, we've just had, and, and I know we're sort of starting to, to wrap up, I think this conversation really exemplifies to me why I love talking to the makers of things or the artists behind products because the level of care and thinking, considering, 
testing, prototyping, thinking about the end user is just so palpable. I mean, you know, and I hope our listeners are getting that sense of the person behind the the brand is not, you know, the person behind Roland Eaton is not just some company just pumping out units just because they need a new SKU for, you know, this year and next year. The person who creates your buckle, accessory, you know, watch band, closure, has thought about all these things and the product is like it is for a very considered reason. And I think that's the true definition of artistry. The artist made it just like so because it's a culmination of their experience, thinking, and design. And I think that's wonderful. You're absolutely right, Robin. And and I'm realizing that, you know, that's something that's very rare in this industry because everything else, as we've established already, is so formulaic. And Mm. uh, if if you look at the big watch brands today, Breguet, uh, Patek Philippe, those original founders that were pioneers of their industry, they're no longer there. And in a way, the watch industry has really, the big brands has really taken a second seat back and let the let the independents, you know, become the innovators and the pioneers. Uh, so you look at F.P. Jorn, you look at the F.P. Jorn, and he's considered the, uh, the Breguet of today. You look at uh, Philippe Dufour, and he's considered as one of the best watchmakers in existence uh, today. Uh, Philippe Dufour is really a watchmaker. If, if you look at one thing that, uh, and you look at Max Booser, uh, he's one of the craziest watchmakers today. And if you look at all of these, these three brands, the one thing that I realize is that the namesake founder is still involved in, the, in those three brands. Max is still involved with his own company. Uh, Jorn is obviously still at the helm of his company. And, uh, and Philippe Dufour is obviously still running his show. Roland, you're, you're the only, you're the only uh, independent watch maker slash belt buckle maker <laughs> who's still, who's still uh, running the show. <laughs> So that's that's where we we get some of that uh, that ingenuity. Uh, you're the brigade of of, uh, of belt buckle makers. You're the Philippe Dufour of belt buckle makers. I'm sure we can come up with a tagline. Oh, the break. Yeah. Oh, now, that's that's fabulous. Uh, yeah, absolutely. No, I, I echo exactly what Patrick said. I think the creative the creative spark of the inventor is almost palpable in, in an artist kind of thing. And I think what I'm getting out of our conversation today is, you know, I've never, when I've looked at your products in the past, I've never heard the voice of the man making them or thinking about them for so long, which I'm getting now, which which makes them just so much more special knowing your active brain is constantly improving, constantly thinking and the product that you invent is the culmination of that. And I think that's the true sense of artistry. You know, the painting is like that because that's what the artist, that's when the artist put the brush down and walked away. Or, you know, the symphony is like that because that's what Beethoven said. Yeah, I'm done. That's the last crotchet. I can't make it any better. And I think that's what I'm getting from speaking with you is that your products are just like that because they are the expression of your deepest thoughts about it, which is the thing's wonderful. 
Thank you very much. Thank you very, very much. Bravo. Bravo, Roland. Exactly. I was, exactly. But, so my last question, I guess, Roland, is what's next? What's 2021 onwards for Roland Eaton, the man, Roland Eaton, or mechanique, Roland Eaton, the marquee? Tell us the future. Oh, gosh. There's a lot. There's absolutely a lot, 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 lot. But the... the <coughs> The point is, let's say I'm on the beach like Castaway. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be Wilson. Yeah, go on. I need something actually floating at me, and I need to have this. You see, what I think I like to make is actually boring for me, then it's already in my mind. <laughs> right. Yes, yes, I mean, yes. Somewhere, an outside kick is like, uh, wow, what? And, uh, yeah, I love to do bespoke things. I like to, it can be everything. It's, uh, it can be like the ultimate door handle. Or the yeah. ultimate door handle. Now, there's a challenge. Exactly. Oh, I would love that. Can that you not imagine the door handle? When you just, you know, how actually, what would be a nice feeling to do to open a door? Is it really like this or this? Or would it be just this? <laughs> or just... <laughs> well, just think about it and it opens. Nah, that's what we boring. <laughs> Yeah, you want some sort of interactivity. You're right. Actually, see, that, that's why you are who you are. You think of the user interface. You want the experience. Yeah, ah, it's, magic. No, but it's, it's always I love the journey. It's like I like to be always Columbus. Yes. And Columbus, when I say Columbus is, I, no, I, my head, I like to go to India. Right. Yes. Discovering India. Yeah, right. But then we just go over the ocean. Yeah, it's just go over the ocean. Oops. <laughs> Something's between. <laughs> Change your plans. <laughs> you need to go on the journey, you know, otherwise it still happens. And for me, oh, that's a the journey is the most important thing and the most creative part of many, many ideas. But you need to always go on a journey. I think that's a wonderful sentiment to finish on. To be like Columbus, the journey is the most exciting thing. That's wonderful. Well, I want to thank you, Roland, for joining us. It's been a real privilege to talk with you and actually hear the, hear the excitement in your own voice as you tell us about your create, creations. It's been, a, it's been a privilege and a pleasure. It was a privilege to be on your show. Fantastic. And I like your approach about reality in watchmaking. Fabulous. Let's talk. Absolutely fantastic. Thanks, Patrick. I'm blown away. Yeah. Thank you for hosting us. No. Thank you, Patrick. You're one of my favorite clients. <laughs> Thank you, Roland. I think of you every day when I, when I put on my belt buckle. Oh, that's absolutely beautiful. <laughs> I thought so. It should be. <laughs> well, it's been really, what's been really wonderful is, sorry, what's been really wonderful is to hear, you know, the story of the inventor 
and the story of the ultimate user of your creations. I think it's added this real dimension to what you do, Roland, as you know, as an inventor of things. Sometimes you can lose sight of who is actually experiencing the, the the creations that I make. And I think having Patrick there to really provide his perspective has been really wonderful to me as somebody who doesn't own a Roland Eaton product yet. It's been really enriching to hear both. The, the two perspectives have been wonderful. Tempting. <laughs> it's getting tempting. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you, gentlemen. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for joining us. Um, Roland, I'll put all the things in the notes, but maybe tell our listeners where they can find you, how they can reach you. Uh, it's uh, Roland, as an info, at rolandeaton.com, as on my internet, my website, my uh, Instagram, Facebook, it's just Roland Eaton, and you can find me. It's very simple. Fabulous. Well, thank you very much, gentlemen. It's been a wonderful conversation. Thanks, Patrick. Thanks, Roland. Uh, And as we always say here in Fifth Wrist, stay on time. is by the community for the community. We would love you to join the crew via our group chat on Slack. Email us at contact at fifthwrist.com and join the movement.